In our confused culture, how do we know what is true, and where do we find truth today? I submit our standard must be the inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. God has spoken, and He's put it in a book. Our greatest need is to hear what God's Word says to us because we're facing so much spiritual confusion in the 21st century. I fear the last verse of the book of Judges sums up the shift in our society as promulgated by secular and even spiritual leaders. Listen to Judges 21:25. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Write this down. What you believe about the Bible will determine your beliefs and your behavior. If you don't believe the Bible, you will make up your own beliefs and behave however you like. If you believe the Bible to be the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word of God, then your beliefs and your behavior will reflect that. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Last week, we defined a disciple as someone who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others follow Him. Is there someone who can help you lovingly follow Jesus? Have you reached out to someone else whom you can disciple? Today, as we continue in our series called Discipleship Matters, we'll discover how a disciple learns, loves, and lives God's Word. We'll also learn that a disciple grows, shows, knows, and goes with the gospel, all for the glory of God. Listen now to part one of a message called, Live in Light of God's Word. Last Sunday, a congressman who calls himself a pastor ended the opening prayer of the 117th Congress with these words. These are his words. I'm quoting him. They're not my words. Quote, We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names by many different faiths, amen and a women. Now, I don't make it a practice to critique a fellow pastor's prayer, but I was deeply troubled, and I need to speak up about it. There's three reasons. Number one, According to Hindu cosmology, Brahma is the creator of the universe and of all beings. I don't get it. How a Christian pastor could direct his prayer to a Hindu god. And while Hinduism recognizes over 30 million gods, the Bible is clear. There is one God who's the creator of all, and he alone is worthy of worship. 1 Chronicles 16 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. Secondly, the Bible is absolutely clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Number three, the word amen is a Hebrew word. It means so it is or let it be. It's derived from a verb meaning to be firm or secure. Also translated as truly or so be it. 
The word serves as a declaration of affirmation after a time of praise or a time of prayer. We see that in Revelation chapter 7, verse 12. The word amen is used at the beginning of the verse and the end. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, Revelation 3.14 refers to Jesus as the amen. So prayer to Almighty God in the name of Jesus has nothing to do with gender. And to insert a women at the end of that prayer reeks of political correctness and not biblical correctness. Well, I shared that. Uh, I, I wrote about what I just shared here as a post on Facebook. I was stunned to see how many times, how many comments and how many times it was shared. It encouraged me because it shows that many people are concerned about doctrinal fidelity and the truth of God's word. Now, I begin today with some warnings. I begin with a plea for each of us to learn, love, and live God's word. And I'm sounding the alarm about the increasing rejection of biblical truth, both outside and inside the church. So these are some trends I find deeply disturbing uh, you might want to buckle up. I had 11. I pared it down to seven. Number one. Number one. While there's much to say about what happened at the Capitol this week, it's best to pray, which is what many of us did on Facebook Live Wednesday night, how we started our service today. And I know that there's some debate about who the rioters were, but here's the most troubling part of all that for me, was seeing flags containing the name of Jesus as the Capitol was breached. What kind of message is being sent when posters declaring Jesus saves are held high while people are fighting police and storming a government building? Secondly, Next weekend, we're focusing on how Jesus loves the preborn as we celebrate the sanctity of life. I don't understand how any pastor can be in favor of abortion because it involves the taking of a human life made in the image of God. Number three, the advance of progressive Christianity is invading congregations evangelical congregations, where marriage is being redefined along with gender, as well as the doctrines of the virgin birth, the deity of Jesus, the atonement, and hell. Here's a quote from the Progressive Christianity website, quote, we affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide one of many ways to experience God. I appreciated the warning Alyssa Childers shared in a post called Five Signs Your Church May Be Headed Toward Progressive Christianity. Number one, a lowered view of the Bible. Number two, feelings are emphasized over faith. Number three, essential doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Number four, historic terms are redefined. And number five, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin 
and redemption to social justice. Number four, the author of the recent Passion Translation claims that God downloaded the original languages to him. This is what he writes. He breathed on me so that I would do the project and I felt downloads coming instantly. It was like I got a chip put inside of me. In addition, he claims that Jesus promised to bring him to heaven to give him the brand new 22nd chapter of the Gospel of John. There are only 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. That sounds more like Mormonism. And the reason I'm troubled by that is that paraphrase, he calls it a translation, is on the site, version, and so I've reached out and asked them to take that off their platform, and we've been in dialogue. Number five, some time ago when I was praying with some pastors and ministry leaders in the community, which I love to do, during the prayer, one of the leaders prayed something like this, God, well, would you please give us more revelation? That troubled me. God has already given us his revelation, and he's put it in the Bible. Number six, the prosperity gospel with its promises of health and wealth cheapens the gospel of grace and replaces the Savior with self, relegating God to a bellhop. And suffice it to say, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Number seven, religious self-help books like those by Joel Osteen, Jen Hatmaker, Rachel Hollis, are filled with platitudes and me-centered spirituality leading many to be deceived. Now, some of you were saying amen as I went through that list. Or maybe I stepped on some toes and you're saying, ouch. There could be a third response. Maybe you're like, how dare he? And you're upset that I even brought some of these up. So, so, but here's the real question. Regardless of what you think about what I just said, here's the question you must wrestle with. How do you know what is true? How do you know and where do you find truth today? Yeah, I I love this church. I'm going to start coming here. Wow. There you go. (laughs) Wow. So I submit our standard must be the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God. God has spoken, and he's put it in a book. Now, that's not just something I believe. This is foundational to who we are as a church. In our statement of faith and covenant found in our Constitution, that's the document that governs us organizationally, you'll find this statement about the Scriptures. The Scriptures have God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. So our pastors and leadership believe this wholeheartedly without apology, without reservation. And it's our hope and prayer that you also 
stand on the word of God as the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative revelation from God to us. Listen, our greatest need is to hear what God's word says to us because we are facing much spiritual confusion in the 21st century. And guess what? It's only going to get worse. So two weeks ago, we learned that if you want to grow, if you're serious about growing, you're going to have to let some things go. Last weekend, we defined a disciple as someone who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others follow him. So let me ask two questions related to that. Is there someone God's prompting you to come alongside to help them grow as a Christ follower? Well, here's the second question. Maybe you're like, uh, I need to grow. Well, is there someone you can reach out to to help you grow as a Christ follower? You'll hear more about that during the series. Just wrestle with those questions. Today, we're continuing in our series called Discipleship Matters, and we're going to discover how a disciple learns, loves, and lives God's word. In honor of God's word, I invite you to stand, and we're going to read together from John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Okay, take a breath, and let's just realize what we're doing right now. We get to hear God's word. We have to pray for more revelation. Uh, It's right here. And we're going to take a look, and not just look. We're going to not just take a glance. We're going to, by God's grace, go deep in this passage. So let's hear it. Let's see it with our eyes. And so let's read it together. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, say it with me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You can have a seat. Thanks for reading. Always helpful, always important to consider the context when you're studying a text. So chapter 8 begins with the woman caught in adultery, which unleashes this like conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. Uh, Probably the best metaphor is like a courtroom scene. They're like attacking Jesus with evidence. Jesus is making some claims about who he is. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the son of God. A lot of them push back. But if you look at verse 30, just go up a verse, it said others believed in him. Verse 31 speaks to the Jews who had believed him. James 2.19 says it's possible to believe and not yet belong to Christ. You believe that God is one, you do well. Well, even the demons believe and shudder. So it's one thing to say that you have faith. It's another to actually follow Christ. So there are four descriptions of a disciple that I see in our passage. A disciple is one who grows, who knows, who shows, and who goes. Let's look first at grows in God's word. Look at the next phrase in verse 31. There's a conditional clause. If you abide in my word. The word abide means to dwell in, to remain in, to continue in, to live in. 
The word refers to staying in a house and you're becoming so in love with the place that the house becomes your home. And just as we're to be at home in our houses, so too we're to be at home in God's word. We don't just come to the word as an occasional guest. We're to move in and live there. We wake up here, we return here every night. The idea is we're to sit and soak in the scriptures. Notice Jesus uses the singular my word, not my words, meaning he's referring to the sum total of everything that he's taught. Jesus challenged the religious leaders, chapter 5, verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you. My word's not living in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, John 14, 23, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him, I love this phrase, and will make our home with him. So here's a question. Is God's word at home in your heart? Is God's word at home in your heart and are you at home in God's word? word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, he's writing to a group of new believers, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Listen, if you want God's word to be at work within you, you have to have God's word within you. The word abide is used again in John 15, 7. If you abide in me, in my words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Two verses later, Jesus urges us to abide in his love. In the most extensive discipleship study ever done, Lifeway Research shared its findings after a decade's worth of research. The scope of the project spanned eight countries with over 1,000 pastors surveyed and over 4,000 Protestant believers in North America. Four discipleship insights rose to the top. I think there's eight of them. These are the top four. Number one, discipleship is intentional. If you want to grow, you're going to have to go after it. Number two, groups matter a lot. Number three, reading the Bible matters more than anything else. It is the most important growth metric of all. And number four, the discipline of Bible engagement impacts every other discipline. Now, turning to Scripture then should be this intuitive, natural response for the Christ follower. And yet, the American Bible Society's annual State of the Bible 2020 report found an alarming trend. This was their summary. A mere 9% of Americans read their Bible each day in 2019, the lowest number in decades of research. So so here's what I want to say about that. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty and ashamed. I want to share that so that we're motivated like, man, I got to get into God's word. But here's also why I want you to hear that. It's no wonder why our morals in the church, the larger evangelical church, why our morals and our doctrine are slipping. 
Listen, the only way to detect error is to dwell in God's word. And the only way to grow as a believer is to know the Bible. So, personal question. What's your plan to grow in God's word this year? If you don't have a plan, may I highly recommend the Edgewood Bible Reading Plan. You can get to it on our website, mobile app. There's some out at the resource kiosk. I appreciate how vulnerable this pastor was. He wrote these words. When I miss the word for some days of neglect, my sight of him becomes blurred. My savoring of him becomes dull. And my showing him, which is what I exist for, is diminished or forced. This past week, I met with Pastor Kyle and He shared with me how our mainspring ministry, that's college and 20-somethings, is focusing on five disciplines for the first 40 days of 2021. While we were talking, I was reminded of how the words disciple and discipline go together. And I wrote this down, you won't grow as a disciple without practicing the spiritual disciplines. Well, I want to share what they're committed to. Number one, prayer. Focus prayer, here's what they're praying for. Repentance, renewal, reconciliation, unity, spiritual growth, discipleship, missions, and reaching unreached people groups with the gospel. Hey, by the way, let me just insert this. When you hear somebody dissing the millennials, you don't let them get away with it. I like to refer to that, this generation as the Jesus generation. Second thing they're doing is Fasting. That's purposeful abstinence from food, certain meals, or other things that take up our time. And Kyle spelled that out. Social media, video games, certain hobbies, sugar, caffeine, etc. A couple days after Pastor Kyle taught on this, I saw somebody in Mainspring post on Facebook, and he said, hey, just be careful, I'm not drinking pop, and I'm really angry. (laughs) Number three, scripture reading, following a Bible reading plan focused on Jesus, discipleship, and disciple making. They're also committed to scripture memorization. Um, There's a memory verse on the bottom of the Edgewood Bible reading plan. You can also get those memory verses in a study that they're following, growing in Christ. And finally, discipleship, a disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others follow him. That includes accountability and regular meetings to study the Bible using this Growing in Christ book and doing life together. So here's the question for those of us who are older. What about us following the lead of our young adults? See, as we grow in God's word, we will show that we're true disciples because a disciple learns, loves, and lives God's word. Secondly, it shows that you're a true disciple. Look at the last part of verse 31. Jesus teaches that it's possible to make an emotional decision without becoming an actual disciple. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, comma, you are truly my disciple. So it's one thing to believe Christ and have good feelings. It's another to receive Christ by faith and follow him for the rest of your life. True disciples live in God's word and allow God's word to live in them. 
As we wrap up today, ask yourself a couple of questions. What's my next step in learning, loving, and living God's Word? Is there someone I can come alongside to help them grow? Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to hear more messages like this one or want to learn more about the ministry of Edgewood, go to edgewoodbaptist.net or download our free mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play by searching for Edgewood QC. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.